We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Hey, well, good morning, Crossroads. Good to see everybody. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. Hello online. Good to see you guys. My name is Pastor Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And uh, just want to, I'm just honored that you would take some time to be with us here today. And uh, listen, just want to talk directly to our online campus. Want to say hello to you this morning. Hopefully you're doing well wherever you might be at, in your couch, in your jammies, wherever you might be. We want to make sure that you're connected with those, those chat hosts at any time during the service because we're grateful that you're with us here today. We want to make sure we're interacting with you. Now, our mission statement here at Crossroads is always the same, that we exist to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. Any way that we can help you do that, we want to make sure that we're there for you. Uh, We want to help you know who Jesus is. We want you to know that he loves you and help you on your way to discovering who he is. Now, before I dive into the message, I just want to give you a little update on some outreach stuff that we got done with just yesterday on Saturday. It's called Citrus Saturday. Uh, It's uh, what we do every year around here at Crossroads. And you should just know that of the groups that were taking a part of that, uh, we brought in, and and I'll give you an idea. Uh, We go to different people's houses. We take all the citrus off their trees. They do know about it. We're not stealing, okay? It's all right. So we take it off, we wash it up, put it in boxes, and then we give it to the Second Harvest Food Bank to be able to give to those people that might need some food. And uh, you guys just need to know that just yesterday alone, 9,700 pounds of citrus was brought in by those groups. Uh, That's 4.8 tons of citrus. That's amazing, amazing, amazing. But the cool part is that number put us over 50 tons of citrus that has been brought in over 20 years of doing Citrus Saturday. So well done to all of our teams. Great job. Um, my son's uh, traveling baseball team that I coach, we got to do that together. And so hopefully you, uh, you took advantage of that. If you didn't, next year's coming and get ready for another Citrus Saturday. It's a great time to be able to do it. Well, anyway, we are tying a bow on our series, which is called Refresh. And, and Refresh is the series that we're really asking ourselves, like, hey, how do we get a kickstart, not just on a new year, but a new you? Like, how do, how do we do that? It's a way for us to kind of orientate our lives towards Jesus and and, and in some ways that we may have never been able to do prior to this series. And to do that, what we've done is we've looked at how Jesus is refreshed uh, or is actually refreshing his disciples after one of the most difficult seasons of their entire lives. Because if we really think about what's happened, Jesus has already been crucified. He was buried in a tomb. He raised from the dead. Um, he's about, he ascends back into heaven. But before he does, he gives them this, this grand mission that they need to be doing. Which leaves the disciples think, thinking like, okay, what in the world do we do next? That's a lot to have happen. But what Jesus does is that he lovingly knows that they need to be refreshed. That both men and women, they need the, what they need the most is to be, to be refreshed. Because before they start going out and doing anything for Jesus, they need to push pause and they need to learn how to refresh. And, and what we've seen happen is that we've been using this refresh kind of rhythm that, that, that Jesus does uh, in our life and to see what would actually happen. So let me kind of explain it again to you just exactly what this rhythm looks like. And I'll, I'll write it over here. Um, so the first thing that we've said, really step one, is that we must learn to regroup. Regroup. Now, when we regroup, what we're doing is we're taking a step back from our life. Okay, we're taking a step back and we're saying, okay, what's happened? What's happened to myself? Maybe that I've done to myself or other people have done to me. 
And, and when we look back on that, what we're saying is, okay, how, how, do I, how do I get to go, how do I go where I know I want to be going? Like, where, where do I, how do I get to a different place? And so we ultimately said that looking back helps us to know uh, where we want to go moving forward. That's, that's why regrouping is so important. So we want to regroup, we want to take a look, but then after we regroup, the second step is really important also. That second step that we need to do is what's called revive. Revive. And when we revive, we are, we are saying, okay, God, I want your spirit to fill me. I want you to show me your love and your grace and your mercy. I need your strength in my life for whatever you're going to call me to do or to change or to stop doing in my life. I need reviving. Reviving is necessary. It's so necessary so that we don't start doing things on our strength. That instead we're drawing on God's strength instead. So, so what we said is that we're reviving. When we revive, reviving is taking a deep breath and letting the Spirit of God fill our life. Instead of hyperventilating on all the little things that this world says that we should be breathing in that will never make us complete. Instead, what we do is we take a deep breath of the Holy Spirit of God to satisfy everything that our soul desires. That's what reviving looks like. So after we've regrouped and after we revive, then we really come to the, the third step, which we've called refocus refocus now the great part about this too is once we regroup revive and refocus we we just keep doing it over and over but but refocus what that is is that we get our attention placed in the right direction where it needs to be at and and we start writing a new page in our in the story of our life but but there's there's lots of things that we want to refocus like if we look back and we say okay I've regrouped I've revived okay now what I'm going to start doing there's lots of things that we want to refocus our life on which is why we've been trying to break these up in the different areas of our life and kind of putting them under the microscope and looking at them independently. We want to hold each one up to the light so that we can see what God would tell us and what God would want us to say, what God would say to us. So the first place that we really started to look was, was this idea of our of ourself, our personal life, or more importantly, like our personal relationship with Jesus. We know to refocus on that. Without refocusing on that first, we can't be effective in any of the other areas of life. Which is why when we decide to focus on God, there's going to be other things that will naturally have to change. We said that when we focus on God, other things have to go out of focus. We can't focus on this and God at the same time. The things that are dragging us down, that the things we used to do that seem to be so important to us all the time, all of a sudden they fade to the background as the relationship with Jesus comes to the foreground. So we want to look at our personal life first. But then last week we also looked at something that's really important to all of us and we need to have in focus. And what that is, is our family. We really want to have our family in focus. We look to see how we can most effectively focus on our family so that they can thrive and so they also can flourish. We said that a focused family puts Jesus first. That, that when we focus our, our lives on Jesus, then naturally our family is going to do that too. And we'll be able to know where to go and what to do and how to get there. So, so what we do is when we focus on our family, it's, it, it makes sure that our path is straight. So our personal life, our family life, we want to make sure. Now, if you missed out on any of those messages, regroup, revive, refocus on personal or family, I would love for you to go back and take a listen to those on their website or on the Crossroads Grace app. They're fantastic, and we'd love for you to be able to, to take a look there. Or also on iTunes or where you get podcasts, you'll be able to find that information there. But, but this week, we're going to look at the final place that we need to refocus, and that is this last place, which is so important, and I get so passionate about, 
is our mission. Or maybe you might call it your purpose. What is your, what is your mission? What is your purpose in life? Now, it would be easy, though, to stop focusing on, on, on really after these first two. Like if we look at our personal lives and our family lives, it just seems to make sense that we would be okay with just those couple. And because if you think about it, you know, if you, if you know that your family's complete and you're complete, then, you know, what you'll basically do is that you'll just kind of put everything else on autopilot almost, right? So because, because if you can make sure that, that you're focused and they're focused, then everything else just, again, just kind of goes on autopilot. But I just need you to let you know something, that, that God has never called us to an autopilot life. He's never called us to an autopilot life. He actually wants us and our families to be focused on him so that we can fulfill the mission that he has for us. And that mission is to tell the world about Jesus. Because let's never forget where this journey actually began for us a few weeks ago. And that mission, that journey began back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Where Jesus is telling his disciples and he says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the commission mission of Jesus. Not just for his disciples, but for all of us. Jesus has called us. We are all called to be on mission for, for Jesus. And, and I don't know about you, but when I know that um, somebody's asking me to do sometimes, sometimes here's what happens. Sometimes I know that inside me, I have this little bit of a junior high attitude that lives inside me. Right? Did, you, you might not have known this, like that we all keep a little junior high part of us available in life if we ever need it. Yes, we might grow up physically. We certainly grow up chronologically. I haven't figured out to stop that from happening. But emotionally, I know that I have a junior high part of me that I can access at a moment's notice if I need it. And, and, and when I mention, you know, kind of being on mission for Jesus or doing something for Jesus, I know that sometimes that can come out in me. And I start saying things like, but I don't want to do that, Right? You know, I, I want to do what I want to do all the time. Why can't I just stay up in my room all the time and you call me down for lunch when it's ready? Right? Anybody have this voice? You ever have that? It's, am I the only one? I mean, online. Give me a little love if you know what's happening out there, right? Right, right. We, we start wilting like a blade of grass in the Central Valley heat when we start to think that God wants us to do something for him. But why is that? Well, why is that? Why is that even after we realize that God sent his son from heaven to earth for, for our sins, to die on a cross in our place, to defeat death, to raise from the dead, to offer us freedom and grace and eternity with him, that we become like a limp noodle on the floor of Target and make God drag us through the halls. You know what I'm talking about? Any parents had a limp, uh, you know, limp noodle kid in their life? Mm-hmm, that's right. See, and here's what I've been thinking about, though. Why is that happening? Here's what I've been thinking about. I think this happens because we have a governor on our spiritual lives. Now, I, I know when I mentioned governor, like everybody around the world gets all freaked out. I'm not talking about that governor, okay? I'm talking about a different kind of governor, okay? Right? Now, I, I ha, I ha, and let me explain it this way. I had the chance uh, of a lifetime, really. And I got to drive a full-blown NASCAR car in the Chicagoland area at the Chicagoland Speedway. 
Okay, it, it, was, it was a gift from my wife. In fact, all the, the men in the family, my father-in-law, my, my brother-in-law, myself, we all got this really cool, cool, cool gift. And uh, you just need to know something. This isn't like, you know, you get to sit in the passenger seat while some guy takes you around. No, no, I was driving this bad boy, okay? Uh, we're talking, everything was going for me. And just to prove it, like, here, here's me in my, in, in my, in my get-up, right? Pop that hip. You know what I'm talking about? Um, Here's me in the car driving, just to prove it to you again. So here it goes, Chicagoland Speedway. That's me in the car driving around. These are my kids when they were little, but when it happened, though. Look at those little ones. My goodness. Whew, this guy was all kinds of extra uh, yesterday. Um, and she loved it because she was not. It was great. But anyway, right, so, so anyway, back to the, I, I was driving the car, and I got to go uh, six laps around the Chicagoland Speedway. And it was horrifyingly awesome. It was amazing. And I could go as fast as I wanted, but they said the fastest you could go is 175 miles an hour, is the fastest you could go, because when you hit 175 miles an hour, there's a governor on the accelerator which will automatically slow you down. Now, uh, I was able to go 177 miles an hour somehow, just to let you know, like a bank around there was pretty awesome. Um, but, but what was happening, when you get there, you hear this little like, like, and automatically the car would just start to slow down because there was a governor on the engine that wouldn't let you accelerate beyond that. And let me put this all together. I think the same thing is true about our spiritual lives. That we put spiritual governors on our lives that say, I'll go this far with you, God, but no further. But like, like if you hit a certain speed, God, if you ask me to do a certain thing, if, you, if you're going you're to have an expectation for me, God, I'll tell you what, I'm going to pump the brakes, the governor, it's going to hit, and I am not going to go any farther. I'm going to stop this whole thing. That's what we do. But why in the world, why in the world would we think that God would not want us to do something for him in this lifetime? Why would we think that he would allow his son Jesus to, to die on the cross for our sins just to, just to have him then say, you know what, you just stay here, be real good, I'm going to come back for you, don't do anything, just be safe. Because the answer is, is that he didn't. He didn't do that. J Jesus was clear about this. John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What Jesus says here is that there are two things that are vying for your life and my life. The first thing that he talks about is this is called the thief. Now, if you know, if you've studied the Bible, you know that the thief actually is, is Satan. That's what the thief is. It's Satan. And what he wants to do, the thief is trying, all he's trying to do is he wants to, to steal your life. He wants to take your life. And he wants to kill your life both now and for eternity. That is what the thief does. So that's the first thing that's vying for your life and my life. But the second thing is this, is what Jesus calls the eye. Now the eye is, is Jesus, right? Is Jesus. He's saying, here, I'm the other way. I'm the alternative compared to that. And Jesus offers us life, but he says he offers us life to the, to the full. To the full. So the thief wants to take our life. Jesus wants to give us life and wants to give it to the full. And Jesus knows that those this full well. That the full life is only found in following him and being on the mission that he has for you. Finding your life's purpose in this life and in the next life is only found in him, in Jesus. But now I want to unpack this a little further today. 
so that we can all kind of really understand why Jesus would say this and that you don't just take my word for it. Goodness gracious, never do this, right? I want you to look for yourself to understand. So, so here's what I want us to do. I want us to, to look at how, we can, how this plays out in our life by once again looking at the life of a man in the Bible by the name of Peter in the Bible. So it, it's a moment in time in Peter's life that he had to decide between the mission of Jesus and the mission of himself. It's found in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you today and want to turn to Luke chapter 5 and invite you to go there with me. Or you can look on your Crossroads Grace app. Chat host, if you would, please put in the link to the, uh, to the Bible right there and also the link to the app for people there. That would be fantastic if you would. Um, and, and as we start to look at this, as we look at this moment in Peter's life, we're going to see how we can remove the governors on our spiritual life and find out why living on mission for Jesus personally, as a family, at work, with our friends, wherever you're at, is the absolute best way to live. We're going to see that today. And I'll say this. If you're joining us here today and you're not a believer in Jesus, I just want to say I'm so glad that you are here with us today. I'm so glad. And, and my prayer is that as we look at our lives through this crazy guy by the name of Peter... That we can start to see that, that what, what God might be telling us about our current life and then also the life that's offered to us by Jesus. Now, okay, hopefully that gave you enough time to be able to find Luke chapter 5. So let's dive in together. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So during Jesus' ministry, he often drew a crowd. Almost all the time. He, he, was a, he was a teacher that the Bible actually described, really the people described him as, as somebody that spoke with authority. And they were blown away by it. It was unlike anything they had ever heard before. And the more that Jesus preached, the more that the crowds grew around him. Now sometimes this was a good thing. Sometimes it was a bad thing. Because if you follow Luke uh, a little bit throughout this, this, the, the gospel, we all already know that Jesus has already been attacked by an angry mob for what he was preaching about. In fact, he was almost killed there uh, for what he was just talking about. But then we also saw in the very same book that he had people that were crowding around him trying to get healed by him. So two, very, two different crowds. So, so here in Luke chapter 5, Jesus may not be sure what this particular crowd of people that he's preaching to might turn into as he starts to feel the heel, like the, the water of the, of the lake of, of Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. That's another name for that sea, the Sea of Galilee, on his heels. He's kind of backed up to it. Which is why what we read in verse 2 starts to make some sense. Verse 2 says this. It says, He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So, so Jesus, is, uh, he chooses to give himself like a little bit of space between him and, and the people that he's speaking to. I mean, probably partly so that more people can hear what he's talking about. But I would also argue that probably he's probably thinking like, uh, I might be able to not get thrown in the sea if I have a little bit of distance between these people. Right? He's just trying to protect himself. So, so what he does is he looks over and he sees two boats and, 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 and the fishermen that go along with these boats next to him. But Luke gives us a very important detail about these men, that, what they were doing actually when Jesus looked their way. It says that they were what? It says that they were washing their nets. 
It says they're washing their nets. Now, now washing your nets is a pretty common practice of fishermen. Uh, it's a preventative maintenance type of thing that they would do to continue the longevity of the nets. They would remove little bits of fish and they'd maybe pebbles or seaweed that was taken up from the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Because with clean nets, the fish, without clean nets, I should say, the fish could actually see the nets more and then your, the amount of fish that would get caught in there is less. So cleaning your nets was, was obviously there to help them. So, so clearly these men were hardworking. They were professional fishermen that knew what they were doing. And since there was two boats worth of gear, they must have been more than just recreational fishermen. This was actually their livelihood. But the fact that they were washing these nets at this time of day was a little curious. And I think Jesus noticed that too, because look what happens in verses 4 through 5. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. So, So Jesus gets done preaching and the crowd begins to kind of disperse a little bit. But instead of giving off the boat and saying, hey, thank you so much to the owners, he looks over at one of them and he hollers at them. The guy is actually named Simon. We know him as Peter. And he kind of hollers at him and says, hey, 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 Peter, let's go fishing, man. Now, now this should seem really curious to you. These guys are clearly packing it in for the day. I mean, Jesus has already slowed them down by doing this preaching on the dock of the bay kind of deal that he just did to them. And But now he's asking them, hey, let's go fishing. How rude can you be, Jesus? You know, how rude. But but as you look at how Jesus approached these men, it's very similar about what he did throughout his entire ministry. Made perfect sense. As Jesus interacted with people, he always tried to connect with them on their level in, in, in a way that would impact them the most. Which is why he would usually try to choose to connect with them in a way that something that they knew the most about. For Peter, it was fishing. And if you know anything about any fisherman everywhere, all you have to do is say, hey, do you want to go fish? And they're going to say, yes, yes. Where are we going? They got the tackle box. The boat's already loaded up. They're ready to go. They just want to go. It's the exact same thing for other people. Maybe it's about playing golf. Maybe taking trips to the beach or going skiing or, or hopping on a plane and going to Magnolia Market because... Well, Jojo, like, I mean, that's just what you do, right? You know, Jesus was intentional about connecting with people on their level. But what we find here is why Peter was washing his nets so early in the morning. And the reason is, is they hadn't caught anything. They'd given up. So when Jesus asked to go fishing, it would only make sense for Peter to say, oh, seriously, man, come on, man. Like, come on, are you kidding? We just washed our nets. We were just putting them, putting the boats away for the day. I had a tea time. I was going to go to, my buddies were going to go do this. Like, Jesus, we worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything, Jesus. Makes sense for Peter to say that. But, But my guess is that there were probably other boats out there still getting after it. I'm guessing that fishing was going on, but these dudes, they had just decided to pack it in early. Maybe it was a rough day and a rough night. Maybe it's just their approach to life. Maybe that was their MO, that, that if things got hard, they just washed up their nets and packed it in in all areas of their life. Do you ever catch yourself doing that? Do you ever find yourself tapping out when life gets hard? 
Do you ever think that life is always against you for some reason and that everybody else is to blame for your problems? You ever feel like washing your nets and just packing it in? I do. I can tell you I do all the time. There are so many days that I would just say to my wife or to myself, and I'll just say, I, is there just maybe another job I can do? You know, like, like one that won't make my stomach hurt all the time and my heart break when I see people go through difficult things or get angry at me. or any, There has to be something different. I mean, there are days that I just want to cry. But what actually scares me the most is that I'm not even sure I know how to cry anymore. I'm not sure that that emotion registers with me anymore after all the years of going through things and experiencing hard things. I don't even know if I can do it. So yeah, I I get it when uh, we talk about feeling like washing our nets and packing it in. Maybe you do too. And, And here's what encourages me, though, about the story, though. Here's what encourages me. It's what Peter says right after he says that he's given up, that I'd rather give up Jesus. It's in verse 5. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. See, this is, this is where the cool part happens, y'all. Instead of just telling Jesus, hey, get off my boat, bro. Wander off, little preacher man. Peter decides to believe that this new pastor, he believes in him. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, because what? Because you say so, I will. Because of you, I will. That's what he says. Now, how could that happen? What would make Peter change his mind? Maybe it was the sermon that he just heard Peter preach in front of all those people. Maybe he had heard about this this rabbi from somebody else that had been talking to him. Or maybe, just maybe, it was something about him that made Peter trust him. To believe in him. To have enough confidence in him to unpack all the nets that he had just washed and stowed away. And then to push back out into the water. And not just the, the easy water, but the, the, the deep water. You, you, know, you know, there's actually like a, a name for that, what he, Peter just did. It's called faith. It's what the writer of Hebrews would actually talk about. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says that faith is being confident in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Peter did not know how this was going to turn out. But he had enough faith to trust Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, can I just tell you amazing things happen? Don't believe me? Check it out. Look at verses 6 through 7. 6 through 7 says this, When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them and come and fill both boats so full that they began to sink. Right? See, all of a sudden... This boat that was filled with fishermen that used to be striking out now had hit the jackpot. This was like the fish version of like the slot machine. You know, lights and sounds everywhere. Fish pouring out like waterfalls everywhere they could see. How is this possible though? These are professional fishermen. And so if they say the fish aren't biting, I tend to believe the professional. So what changed? Jesus. Jesus changed it all. 
Where once there were dead and empty nets with Jesus, they were teeming with life. Oh, crossroads, my friends, listen, I don't have to preach as long if y'all get it a little bit quicker here. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, because don't you see the, em- the nets were empty? Their lives were empty. The hope was gone, was empty. But with Jesus, it all changed. With Jesus, it all changed. Crossroads, can I ask you something? How many of us are living with empty nets? You see, all of us are fishing for something in this life. And we cast our nets into this world in hopes of catching success in relationships, in happiness, in money, in power, in drugs, in whatever else, anything else this world tells us. But whether we realize it or not, even when we do catch a few of those things, our nets are still empty. We can never seem to get a big enough catch of that stuff to satisfy our cravings because we are still hungry for something. But what if? What if instead of casting our nets, our lives in the same waters over and over and over again with the same results, we choose to try something different? Or should I say someone different? To do exactly what Peter did as he stands on the deck of his boat that is literally full of God's blessing and is beginning to sink. Peter says in verse 8, he says this, Then Simon Peter saw this, he fell at at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Peter says, Jesus, I don't deserve any of this. I'm a sinful man. I've got some stuff in my past. I give up too soon. I can be lazy and pessimistic, and I pack up my nets way too soon. So Jesus, get away from me. You save yourself. Go to somebody else, because I'm not the one. And in so many words, you know what Jesus says? I know. I I I know all of that. Guess what? I still love you, Peter. I still have a plan for you, Peter. In fact, despite all of your shortcomings, I have a mission for you that I want you to focus on. So Peter, take a good look at all the fish that are around you because you know what? You will not be casting your nets in the water for them anymore. You, sir, will be casting your nets into the sea of humanity and fishing for people to come and know me as their Lord and Savior. You will be saving them from the sea of sin and bringing them onto the dry land of my grace. Peter, that's your new mission. But in that moment, in that moment, Peter, shocked by what he was witnessing right now, had a decision to make. Does he keep throwing his nets into the same safe waters and getting the same results with that same safe mission? Or does he choose to trust this Jesus And start a new mission that is less safe, less certain, less popular, less lucrative, but has the potential to bring him the greatest purpose in his life. Peter has a choice of what he wants his life focused on. And so do each and every one of us. Do we stay in the mission that brings us back empty nets after empty net in our life, but is safe? Or do we trust Jesus and begin the mission that he has for us? 
to focus our lives on something greater, something beyond the here and now, something, something other than the empty nets of this life. And I pray that as we think about this, we might do exactly as Peter did in verse 11. He says, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Peter looks at what Jesus just did and then the mission that he has called him to and it wasn't even a question for him. He threw down the nets. He left the business. He gathered up all of his friends and he chose to follow Jesus and he never once looked back. He chose the greatest mission of all time. And you know what it is? To follow Jesus fully. And, and, and believe me, oh, believe me, the choice that he made wasn't, didn't, didn't lead him into the easy life. Oh, goodness, no. He would experience the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He would even be killed and murdered and martyred for his belief in Jesus. But I tell you this, he would say it was worth it. It was worth it. It's exactly what Paul would tell us in Philippians 3.8. In Philippians 3.8 we read that Paul says this. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. My friends, what Paul is saying here is that no matter how great you think this life is, no matter how much stuff you might have, no matter how much success you have, no matter how much fun that you think that you're having, he actually calls it garbage. He says it is garbage compared to being on mission for Jesus Christ. It is nothing compared to giving your life to him, to love him, to serve him, to tell people about him. It is, everything else is garbage compared to that. And for some of you, this is a message that you've already heard. Because at some point in your life, you dropped your nets, you followed Jesus, but along the way you lost your passion. Maybe it was a lack of focus. Maybe it was laziness. Maybe it was because of shelter in place and COVID and all that went with it. But whatever, you stopped. You stopped reading your Bible. You stopped praying. You stopped inviting people to church. You might have even stopped coming to church. You gave up on serving at the church and you said that I was too busy. I'm too overwhelmed. I'm too, too, too. And if that's you, my friends, I would just say to you, it's time. It, it, it's time. I mean, we're going to talk, talk about this next week. It, it's a message that I've, I've entitled Two Chairs and a Couch. You know it's going to be pretty cool if it's called that. So you want to be here for that. But I'm just telling you, online campus, those here at Manteca, it's time. It's time to stop grabbing empty nets, you guys. It's time to, to drop them. It's time to start reengaging and getting back on being on mission for Jesus. Getting back to serving in the kids' area so that the next generation can hear about Jesus. Getting back to making church a priority of what you do and not if I get around to it. Get back engaged in growth groups, in community, in growing in your faith. Getting back to inviting people to church, showing your love of Jesus to your neighbors. It is time. And guys, I know it's hard. I know our parents are literally exhausted. And you, know, you want to know how I know that? Because I'm all those things too. Every single one of them. 
But I know at the end of this life, I do not want to have to to tell Jesus about my story arc and then come to this dip in time that was called 2020 or COVID and say that that's where I just kind of bottomed out and have that be my excuse. No, no, no. I want to finish my race well. And to have Jesus tell me, well done, good and faithful servant, come and enter your rest. And the only way I would hear that is because I'm flat on the ground looking up at him because I'd given everything I had for him. That at the end of this life, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. But the bottom line is that the church must refocus on what it really means to be on mission. And to do that, we need to refocus our commitment as followers of Jesus. We can never retreat. It is time to close the distance, not to be socially distant when it comes from the mission of Jesus Christ. We must, we must, we must be on mission. We must be on mission and be focused on what God needs us to do. Because listen, I want you to think about this. That when we refocus, we have a clearer vision of where we're going. So many people have no idea where they're going. Why? Because they don't have a focus on Jesus. But when we refocus on him, we have a clearer vision. When we focus on Jesus, our life can be and will be refreshed. We could start to live life to the fullest, as Jesus told us in John 10, 10. As we regroup, as we revive, as we refocus, we can do that. But we will never be able to do that if we aren't on mission for Jesus. Never. Guys, our life is not our own. This Bible tells us that we were bought at a price. And because of that, we need to have a deep passion to live for Jesus And here's the thing. As a church, we're never the church that's going to tell you, hey, good luck with that. Figure it out on your own. This is not how we do it. We want to help you do that, to help you understand how God's wired you to do these things. So here's what I want everyone to do. Online, in person, in the parking lot. Here's what I want everybody to do at some point today. I'd like you to go to this site today sometime. It's our tag team site. It's a chance for you to be able to understand and take a a spiritual assessment of your life, of how God's wired you. You can take this small little quiz right here. It's going to show you how you can be best on mission for Jesus at Crossroads, even beyond. And yes, you have a mission where you're at, wherever you might be at, around the country, around the world, in your neighborhoods. But I also want you to be mission as part of the local church, too. It's called the Bride of Christ. Jesus died for it. It's important to be a part of it. So I want you to take this test and it's going to give you some areas that will match up with your skills and how you're wired. And then I want you to sign up and serve. I don't want you to just take it and be like, ah, look at that. That's what I am. No, no, no. Do something with it. Do something. And people are always asking, hey, PB, like what's your greatest need right now, man? Well, thank you for asking. I'll tell you what our greatest need is right now. I need people to step up in our next generation ministries, birth through high school. Need you to step up. Need you to be part of their lives. we got a big announcement next week that's going to dovetail into this. But we need you to step up and be a part of that. But I want you to take this survey, this little test, so you can help to understand exactly where your best fit is so that you can be the most impactful. And, and online campus, I'm telling you right now, I want the exact same thing for you. Whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're from California, or whether you're from Idaho, wherever you might be at, I want you to be on mission too. Wherever you're at, I want you to be on mission. And I understand that there are people that have health concerns, that they are compromised right now. I'm not asking you to risk your life. I'm not asking you to do anything outside that. But I am telling you this, that you are called to be on mission. 
Every single one of us is called to be on mission. I want you to take that same test. I want you to be a part of it. Maybe you need to be an online chat host. Maybe you need to start inviting people to come and watch service with you. Maybe you need to get in your neighborhood in a more specific way. But everyone, online campus, I want you to be a part of this too. Wherever you're at, be on mission. Everyone needs to do this. We all are. I want all of us to feel the power of being on mission with your time, with your talent, with your resources. I want you to feel all of those things. I want you to feel what it's like with your ideas of God's wired you. I want everybody to take that brief survey. Take those times so you can exactly know where all those gifts are at and what those things are for your life. I want you to do that because I know that when you do that, when you do that, your life will never be the same. It'll never be the same because when we refocus, right? When we refocus, we have a clearer vision of where we're going. We have a clearer vision of where we're going. And I just want to share with you the inspiration for this message today. And it comes from an unlikely source. Because it actually came from a message that I, I wrote for a dear man in our church who recently passed away. Who epitomizes being on mission. His name is Bob Garcia. If you know Bob, he was a fantastic husband to his wife, Tina, father, grandfather, true man of God. But I'll tell you what, this guy lived his life on mission through, through it all, through everything. He served passionately, wanted his life to matter no matter what God had called him to do. He did it. Bob was a great example of that. But one of my favorite memories of Bob was actually back in 2018 when he came forward and he got baptized when he gave his life to Jesus and publicly declared that he chose, that he wanted to live his life for him, on mission for Jesus. And his family would tell you that after that moment, his life was never the same. And I tell you that story about Bob because I know that there are people here today whose, whose nets are really empty. Really empty. Whose life needs purpose. Who needs passion and meaning. And I would just tell you that if that's you, I would say trust Jesus. Trust him. Let your nets down into his waters and watch what he can do in your life. And it won't be easy, but it will be full. It'll be worth every second. I want to invite you to choose Jesus today to say, because you said so, Jesus, I will. And to put your nets into the waters of his love and his mercy and his grace today. So we prepare our hearts now for communion. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for your word that is alive and active. I thank you for messed up people like Peter in the Bible who we all can relate to because we all have had moments where we weren't perfect. But what an example that he gives us of someone that had washed their nets, that had given up, that had just turned their back and seemed to have given everything up. The God that you, you pressed into him and you gave him a mission for his life and was found in you, Jesus. So Father, I pray for anyone right now within the sound of my voice, God, that if there is anyone that does not know you, Lord and Saviors, that, that your son Jesus is Lord and Savior, that right now, today, that they would reach out to you and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm apart from you. God, my life is empty and my nets are empty and I don't know what to do. But today I realize that I don't have to have empty nets anymore, that I can have you, Jesus, as my Savior. So Jesus, be my Lord. I want your grace that forgives my sins. Make me white as snow. Father, I repent of my sinful past. I embrace my future with you and ask that you please, Jesus, would come into my life. 
so I can live to the full. God, you tell us if anyone claims your son as Lord and Savior, that the old is gone, the new has come. God, I would pray that they would take their next step, reach out to someone, a chat host or a pastor or director here, Father, that they would be able to reach out to them and they would take a next step with you. But right now, help us to remember your, your beautiful death on the cross, Jesus, through this communion, through this worship we're about to take. And I, Father, that you would be with us and fill this space. Make our nets full. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.